The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Leadership today is more than just a position in an organization. It's also a mix of proven practices that produce results. Welcome to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Our program will bring you the how and why of successfully led businesses or organizations with not-for-profit goals and how you can apply the Adesis Methodology and make it work for you. Now, here is Dr. Ishak Adesis. Hello, 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 hello. I'm still calling you from Moscow this time, and uh, we are interviewing today a very dear friend, a client of the past, Dan Maidan, who was a former president of Applied Materials, a very large company. At the time that he left, it was more than $10 billion in revenue, and uh, Dan and me have known each other for a long time since I've been working with him, and I'm extremely excited that we have him on the line. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Ichak? I'm very good. I'm in Moscow, and understand you're in the Silicon Valley. So, and the recording is in Arizona. So, back to the oh. <laughs> modern life, multiple countries. Yeah, the world. And is that. yes. <laughs> when you joined Applied Material, how big was Applied Material? Uh, when I joined Applied Material, which was in uh, September 1980. The company was somewhere between 30 to 50 million dollars revenue uh, coming down. It had uh, some difficulties. And in 1976, Jim Morgan was called to the company also to try to see what could be done, and he sold most of the activities. And then in 1980, me and my group which were formed in New Jersey, joined the company. 1980. I don't know which year I joined. All I know is that I was asked to consult by Jim Morgan, who was the CEO of the company, also chairman of the board. He heard my lectures in Japan, and he came to me after the lecture. He said, Dr. Adizas, we are a $400 million company. We would like to be a billion-dollar company. Can you help us? When was the company $400 million? Because I, I have no record of time. Uh, by you know? Just to talk about hiring uh, you, Jim Morgan came to me one time and told me, uh, you heard about the guy Adizas? I said, no. He said, don't you think we need to get him? Then I heard that you were consulting a company in Israel. So I went to Israel to ask him about you, and uh, then we hired you after I came back. And that was, I think, around 1984 or so, if I'm not mistaken. Right, 1984. It was $400 million company. Then when you left, I left with you. It was a $12 billion, $12 billion, right? When you left, it was $12 billion. Right. When we left. 
No, it was between 10 to 11 billion dollars. That's pretty big growth. <laughs> he invited me to, you know, to help with one billion, and we ended up with eleven billion. I think the company you inter you you asked for references in Israel was Elbit, and next week I'm interviewing Emmanuel Gill, who was the president of Elbit at the time. Oh yes, he's and, the one we just spoke to about you. Yes. All right, right. I'm interviewing him next because I work with him too. We also we went there from hundred million to two billion dollars, I think. Then uh, 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 tell us about what made Applied so successful to go from, you know, you started with fifty million dollars all the way to eleven billion dollars to be the largest world leader in semiconductor equipment. Right. Uh... Well, it was 50 million coming down, or, uh, I mean, pretty fast coming down. So we create a totally different environment and we introduce a concept which, uh, using your methodology, is very easy to understand, and that is really innovation and commercialization. In other words, the company needs to continuously innovate come with new products, new methodology, and the organization which, would, which can support all those kind of uh, strategies, operation, and so on and so forth. So uh, thinking about the lifetime of cooperation, we, are, we made sure that every two years or so, we came a new kind of a product of every four years or about, we came into a new market segment. So we kept growing uh, continuously for over 20 years at an average of somewhere between 20 to 25% a year. It was really uh, innovation. Now, if I can add to it and tell me if I'm on the right track, the entrepreneurship, what you talk about the e-component, and I think the audience that is listening here, we have them all over the world, they know the PAI, so you're welcome to use the Hi. PAI code in the in the in your answers. I think with the we it was not just E. If I can comment on it and tell me if you agree with me or not, you were very much E. There is no question you provided a lot of entrepreneurial leadership to the company, but it was a capability that you had is to imprint this entrepreneurship in the whole company so it was not dependent only on you. It was you were doing the directing, but we built an organization where the head of the divisions had to perform, to innovate, and to lead. Am I right? You are absolutely correct. Is the, as you say, your methodology of AIPE and E always on top of the rest. This is very important, but it's also very important in my view, for a growing company to decentralize it and get people which are always better than you are so you have sufficient time to talk to employees, to, get to talk to customers and understand the company even better and concentrate on the strategy while understanding the details of, or every detail which is going on on a daily basis. So uh, the innovation and commercialization was a very important concept because innovation by itself is certainly insufficient. Uh, and I experienced that at Bell Labs, so I was for many years. And commercialization, unless you want to be in high tech, which we were, uh, you need to be innovative as well. 
So using the organization which you helped us established over a period of 10 years or so, I don't even remember the duration. Uh, uh, that, that was very important. It was important to understand that every organization uh, leads somehow to a green, as you define it. Green is the, where there is the source of the money, and that E are standing on top of the organization, and what I introduce is the fact that you try to recruit people which are better than yourself. And if you have this kind of people and you rely on them, you don't micromanage them, then uh, the company will usually do well. I want to tell the audience, uh, I wrote a blog about you, and I would like to repeat what I wrote in that blog because then you don't know, but you probably don't know, but I lecture all over the world and in all my lectures, I mentioned your name and give you credit for what I've learned from you. Not only what you've learned from me, but what I have learned from you. I'd like to share it with the audience. When, uh, when Dan retired, I was invited to come to the retirement party, and I noticed something very, very interesting. And it is that when he retired, a lot of the people that were under him were let go or they left because a new manager came from the outside with his own ideas who the top management should be. And all these people that reported to Dan became CEOs of their own companies. Okay. That's very unusual. And I said, why? It, how did that happen? And let me share with the people how did it happen. They became CEOs of all these vice presidents became CEOs of companies of their that they, when they left applied material. Here is how it happened. Here is Dan, president of a $11 billion company. And something very unusual is about Dan that you're now listening my interview with him. Whenever I will call Dan, I said, Dan, can I see you? He will say, sure, come in. Now, that's very surprising because any other company of that size, when I call the president, he will say, well, can we see each other next week for half an hour? And then he will have a hell of a tough time giving me the time. They're all pressed with time. Then I said, sure, come in. Well, I thought maybe because I'm his consultant, he gives me preference with time. Then I realized any vice president, and not just vice presidents, if they call him, he will say, come in. Where does the guy, president of an $11 billion company, have time? How can it be? So I asked him, can I look at your calendar? I looked at the calendar. Most of it was empty. A meeting here and a meeting there, but most of it empty. How does that do that, and I would like to share with the audience. And then, uh, at, the, at the retirement, you told me where you learned this. So, in, at Bell Lab, your first boss at Bell Lab taught you this. It was very interesting, you know how you try, uh, how you made the science out of it. When somebody will come to him, a vice president with a problem, and they will say, "Dan, here is my problem. What should I do?" Dan will get upset. He said, "Now listen, you are a manager. You're an executive." You should have a solution. Just don't give me the problem. What's your solution? If the guy didn't have a solution, he will send him out and say, come back with a solution. When the guy came with a solution, he will not say, this is wrong, do that. Never. Dan will say, did you think about this? Did you think about this? Did you think about this? Go back and redo your solution. Basically, it will take very short time. Because he paid all the work on his subordinates to think it through until they came with a solution he could accept. And then he'll say, very good solution, go ahead and do it. Now, what is this that is totally different from what executives usually do? 
Executives do it wrong. A person comes with a problem, they give him a solution, then they spend a lot of time supervising that the solution is good as they want it to be done. They work very hard. In the case of them, he makes his subordinates work very hard. They have to come with a solution that he can accept. And he always tells them what's missing so they can redo the solution. As a result of it, all his subordinates developed as CEOs. As a result of it, they all became CEOs of their own companies. I've never seen anybody do that. So then, how did you learn to do this trick? I mean, how did you learn to make the people come with the solutions rather than you come with the solution? How did you control your ego to be smarter than anybody else? Well, I, I don't know how I control my ego, but I think a lot of it came from uh, some of the culture at Bell Telephone Laboratories, which was the center of innovation and, and created the wealth of the, I would say, of the 20th century, not just in the United States, but worldwide. If you get bright people and you want to challenge them, because unless you challenge them, uh, they will not be able to produce, and you don't want them just to follow your orders. You have to correct the environment that they themselves are thinking. They themselves are the creators of new things, but they need uh, to be supervisors in a fashion that just suggests to them whether they are going the right direction or the wrong direction. So this is... I would say methodology by its own, which I, it comes to me in a very natural way, but I adopted it that many of the people reported to him did the same uh, thing. So we never micromanage. We, we challenge continuously employees, and not just vice presidents, but at all levels. For example, I didn't allow in reviews, let it be technical, except financial, but technical operation, I didn't allow uh, people to come with foils. So even if they came with foils, I didn't use them because I wanted to know exactly their thinking. I let them talk freely and openly, and then there was a discussion. And uh, at the end, many times I have to make a decision one way or another, but it was the thought of the people and the people around us, the team, were just giving some suggestions which the individual responsible either accepted or didn't accept. So that really created a totally different kind of environment. We did it within the company, and we also did it to a customer, because after all, what you sell to a customer in iTech you, you you sell him a dream which you need to deliver two or three years later because what you develop today will only be used by the customers two to four years from now. And therefore, while listening to his needs, you need to understand what you really need two years from now, and you try to sell him this kind of a dream, but you always need to deliver. And that kind of message we are able to, was able to penetrate every single employee in the company, from technical organization to financial organization, operation, sales organization, and at all levels, from top managers to the lowest level employee. They, we all understood what was the charter 
and uh, what we, uh, our job was in the company. Then uh, we must take a break now, and then when we come back, I would like to make a commentary of what you said. It's very, very interesting. Let's take a break. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The ADESIS management methodology increases the speed at which organizations are able to implement change and solve their problems. The methodology introduces an innovative process, culture, and system that allow organizations to achieve dramatic growth in both revenue and profits. Build your success from within. ADESIS management methodology is delivered by the ADESIS Institute with offices worldwide, introducing a new management paradigm. Visit www.adesis.com for the ADESIS Institute today. Top Leaf is a turnkey management development curriculum that consists of a set of 20 to 30 minute videos presented by Dr. Ishak Adesis, creator of the methodology and founder of the Adesis Institute. The Adesis methodology is considered by many to be a solid foundation for all organizational development. The Top Leaf curriculum is made up of three programs. Top Leaf can be used by individuals, by organizations, and by trainers and consultants looking for new content to offer their clients. For more information about Top Leaf, visit www.adesis.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. I would really like here to emphasize what Dante has just said, and this is, uh, I call it the terrorism of the PowerPoint. Companies are really becoming, I don't know what, addicted to these bloody PowerPoint presentations, meetings, Lights are low. Then the PowerPoint presentations go one after the other. Very few people are watching. Some people are looking at their iPads or iPhones or Blackberries. There is no discussion. One question here, one question there. Boring like hell. No thinking. No discussion. Presentation is over. Meeting is over. Nothing happened. Dan would never allow that to happen. Let me describe you a meeting that Dan handles. At the beginning, I was really surprised because a meeting, executive committee, it is Dan Maidan that we are interviewing right now. He is the president of an $11 billion company. Executive committee meeting is taking place. I, as a consultant, I'm there watching. And Dan is really kind of uh, sitting very quietly. Here he is the chairman. He is the president of the company. Does not say a word. A discussion is taking place. 
That's what say a word. I started to wonder, is he retired of the job or what? Why is he so quiet? He doesn't say a word. Then I realized what he's doing. As long as the discussion is going in the right direction, he does not push the river. He let the people discuss. And he will always encouraging a discussion and openness and an exchange. If the group is starting to go in the wrong direction for some reason, he will just jump in and say, hey, guys, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? And let them continue the discussion. So he was creating always a learning environment, an exchange of ideas and a learning, rather than a presentation where people are glued to the, to the screen and just ask a question here and a question then and nothing happens. I really want to applaud you, Dan, for establishing an incredible culture and applied material that enabled the company to grow from $15 million and going down, $11 billion and going up. And then when you retired, I want to ask you a question which was interesting to me, how you did that. When you retired, they hired somebody, which I was also against, uh, from a production orientation, and here is to hire somebody into a high-tech company with a production orientation, means bringing P. He kicked all the E's out and put all the PAs in, and the company went from 11 billion, I don't know how far down, an incredible number down. You will tell us immediately how. And I was watching you. You built that company. You gave your heart and soul and brain for 20 years, from 50 million to 11 billion. The company was going down, but you were able to handle it. Other people will collapse. What happened? What went through your mind after you retired and watched the company going down? What went through your mind? Well, uh, it, of course, it was uh, sadness uh, because I saw very quickly that uh, uh, many of the top employees uh, are leaving the company and uh, capabilities are disappearing, it becoming more or less an empty shell and kept by momentum and giving an opportunity to competitors, not just in the United States, but uh, elsewhere, to penetrate the market, which we are uh, the leader. Of course, the inertia kept the company for a long time. Uh, however, it, uh, it didn't stay as a... A top technology company. They also lost their position of number one in the industry to number two. It's still number two, but uh, uh, it, it's not what it used to be, which is uh, very sad, but you know, life must be moving on, and I'm sure that uh, uh, they are now in the process of recovery, and Hopefully, they will come back to a leadership position in order not to, as you prescribe, in lifetime of cooperation, in order to survive much longer, in order to not to have a premature death, one needs to continuously come with new kind of products. And since I left, I am not aware of new products which came to the market. But doesn't it hurt you, Dan? I didn't. Uh, I was, you know, I would expect somebody else will bitch and moan and complain and and really feel very depressed that they're destroying your Taj Mahal that you've built. 
You took it in stride and you felt like life goes on. How could you do that? How, where did you get the strength to continue and just to kind of separate, to let go of your dream, let go of whatever you built? How did you do that? What can other executives, especially, you know, especially the, what should be interested in this are founders of companies. Founders of companies build a company that they bring somebody else who starts destroying it, they actually get a heart attack, they get cancer, they die. You succeeded to find your future career by being on board of directors, future life. You did not fall into that trap. How come? What, what really made you not fall into the trap? Well, I had uh, uh, I have a good friend, Japanese, uh, Iwasaki-san, which told me, don't look at it as a retirement, look at it as a second harvest. Uh, (laughs) I really started my second harvest, uh, which uh, was involved in myself with uh, many new companies. I'm involved with about eight different companies. Uh, One was already sold, one became public. And uh, it is a great challenge. And in addition, I'm involved with some non-for-profit, like uh, the Technion, which I'm a graduate of. And uh, that keeps me very busy and uh, challenged. On top of all that, it is a great pleasure for me to see all my associates becoming CEOs or very successful uh employees of other or executives of other companies. I continuously meet them. I at least fifty percent of my time, which is about three or four days a week, I have lunch or dinner with previous employees and we talk not necessarily about the past, but we talk about present and future of what should be done, how could we do it so I am continuously challenged, and I feel very uh, happy and satisfied about all that. I feel extremely satisfied that many previous employees, and it's not just executives, it goes down to the direction of managers, and I knew almost everybody at the company, and when they start new careers, they usually call me, and we meet and discuss, and... If they listen to me, uh, it makes me very satisfied and happy. So, life, you know, we only have one life, and life must go on. This is a hit. You see, I would like to underline it for for the listeners. Dan looks at life, the typical sentence, you know, not typical, very good sentence. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. So you look at the present tense as the beginning of the future rather than continuation of the past. That is a capability to turn around and look into the, you know, with a face to the sun and move on and look at the new challenges and live a productive life rather than lament the problems that happened in the past that the, and, and, the, and what you build is being destroyed, unfortunately. But that's what it is. That's what it is. You keep going. Wonderful. Then uh, uh, I want another question to you, which uh, really I was very impressed with your acumen in identifying uh, uh, talent. What did you look at people when you were bringing them to top positions? You promoted a lot of people from below to the top like that guy from Israel, from Almog, I think. Almog, yeah, and I'm sitting today on his board of directors. He's, 
He's a very, very talented person. You know, we gave opportunities. Uh, it applied material to people based on their talent, not on their origin. That's why we had people from so many different countries. The only thing which I didn't allow them is to talk their own language when they were at work. They all had to talk English so that everybody else could understand them. But we had people from China, from Japan, from England, from uh, Korea, from you name it, uh, Spain, any Brazil, any country that you could imagine, we had people uh, only based on their talent. That, again... I learned at Bell Labs to always take the best people you can find and don't ever hesitate to take people which are better than you and just give them two opportunities to excel. And How did you identify good people? What does it mean, good people? How did you identify talent? When you were looking at the person, what were you looking for? What, what made you impressed? What impressed you? Well, that, that, that's a very good question, and uh, it, it's uh, very difficult to describe. First of all, if I look for technical person, I, I was trying to find people with technical background for all positions, the human resource or finance or whatever, or at least give them the opportunities to have experience in this area. Looking for technical people, first of all, I looked at young people, so I took about every year the corporate uh, hire about 100 or a little bit more of top students from top 10 universities. We kept them at the on the expense of the corporation for six months. They went from one department or from one division to another, including manufacturing. And then the various divisions... A bid on them, and they, these people were very successful. But those are just a few people, 100 or so. The other people which we hired, we were looking for talent. If a guy, for example, came and told us in an interview, uh, after asking him the question, what would you like to be? Five years from now, or where would you like to be? And if the guy told us, oh, I want to be in your position, then he lost it. We'll never take him. But if the guy said, I want to be able to contribute to the best of my ability and uh, create either new thing or create better position for the company, and if background was proper, if he had a good grade and show promise future, He's a guy who we hired. So we are very uh, careful in hiring uh, uh, people based on their talent, not necessarily on uh, their aspiration to become top general managers. Dan, thank you. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. We have to break every 12 minutes. And then I want to ask you another question about this subject. We are interviewing... Dan Maidan, the former president of Applied Material, when he left, the company was a $12 billion company, their leading company in manufacturing equipment for the high-tech industry, for wafers. Please, uh, uh, let's take a break. Mm -hmm. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Adesis Speakers Bureau can present the Adesis methodology and its approach to harnessing the power of change to your top management team. The presentations, either in person or via a live video hookup, can be delivered in a two-, four-, or six-hour format. Participants can derive immediate benefit from the material and put their new knowledge to use right away. For luncheons, corporate retreats, and strategic planning meetings presented in a variety of languages, visit www.adesis.com. Dr. Ishak Adesis is one of the leading management experts in the world. He has written 14 books that address the challenges facing top management. Books by Dr. Adesis can be found in 24 languages. They can be purchased at the Adesis store at www.adesis.com or on Amazon.com. Electronic versions are now available for three of the books with more to come. These books reflect over 40 years of study in the fields of management and organizational change. Pick up a copy of one of the books for yourself or as a gift today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Then, uh, 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 apropos hiring talent, what was it that made you hire Adesis? Uh, when you interviewed Dan, uh, Emmanuel Gill, why did you decide to hire Adesis? What triggered you or what made you interested? In, 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 because when I came to work with you guys, that was a very interesting meeting. I remember it was uh, very interesting with the kind of people that were there. What made you uh, uh, decide to hire Adesis? Well, if you recall, we, uh, you came and gave us the presentation, and I thought it was very, very impressive. I mean, the concept uh, of P-A-I-E, that you need all four of them, and the E always on top of uh, the rest, the concept of corporate lifetime, the concept of green everything must lead like a river into green at the end. Uh, those are very unusual concepts, which I felt were very important. I felt the company uh, is growing. We are, as you said, $400 million. We are growing very, very fast. And uh, we didn't have any experience in uh, how to run a company. In, even though Morgan started to hire uh, good people uh, which had expertise uh, like Jerry Taylor at that time in finance and Jim Bagley in operation, we still needed to create a culture that will be able to grow 
to a much larger corporation, my dream was to reach 20 or even 30 billion dollars, which I believe he, he could have done, but we needed to organize the whole thing together. After all, people make the organization, but the organization gives the opportunity to people. And we needed to give these people this opportunity, and I felt that you are the right guy to create or help us create this kind of organization which will give us all the opportunities and the capabilities to reach our dream. Uh, are there, is there any specific event that you think I contributed uh, something that is really important for the audience to know about? Because I would really like to know if there was something specific that you really can point to or, uh, or it is really more of a total flow. It was total flow. It really was a total flow because uh, I, I felt the company was limited and unless we do sometime. And Morgan felt the same. As you said, he was the one which triggered me to do this kind of thing. And we really needed the help uh, to build a strong organization. I would like to tell the audience what I really did there with Dan and Dan's uh, leadership. We actually restructured the company practically every two years or something like that. As the company was growing, it needed continuous restructuring. For instance, a division that was a uh, 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 50 million became a billion dollars division. It had to be again, it's like cells. When they grow big, they have, to move, they have to split and start all over again, and split and start all over again. So, uh, and Dan was never afraid to relook at the structure and realign the structure and change the structure because as the company was growing, I look at organization structure like they're pants of a little baby. When it's a child, is, you put the pants on, they look oversized, and then after one year, they become like underwear. So you continuously have to restructure the company that is growing very fast, or it will stymie, it will get stuck. And then always allow that to do, encourage that to do. There was no fear in the company to restructure and restructure and restructure so that the company can grow and not get stymied. Then uh, uh, one more question to uh, you let is... Let yeah. me just comment on it. You said one very important thing. You see, everything... If it's alive, must change. The only thing which doesn't change is in the graveyard when everybody is dead, and <laughs> which was very important. So we are all open to change. And the change which you created, you uh, explained very carefully to us, and I think that was a major issue. What kind of organization? Decentralized or a centralized organization? And we all felt, due to your guidance, that decentralized will give us a much better opportunity to grow. We didn't even worry about two divisions competing with each other, not on the same product, but on product aimed for the same market, for the same market. So we allowed this kind of competition in every division was responsible for the profit and loss. They were autonomous, and uh, I think we had about seven of these divisions, and we are entirely open to this kind uh, of change, and I would recommend it to every company, growing company uh, to do the same, because this is a very 
effective and in my view even essential way for growth. Uh, I would like to emphasize something here. Thank you, Dan, for pointing this to me because you remind me of one of the principles of the business methodology. Usually, companies start with centralization and only if there is a need and pressure, they will decentralize. I start with decentralization and only if there is a need and pressure, then I will centralize something. So it is a starting point which is important. Start with decentralization and only if we are pushed centralize something rather than start with centralization and only if there is a revolution decentralized totally different approach and i thank you for pointing this to me i forgot you know about these principles so now i have to really emphasize it then uh, uh, we are one more thing any new product we never hesitated taking some experienced people and some very bright, even new people, and create something which is like a startup and gave them incentives, which made them quite rich if they became successful, including a portion of the market success, which was capped, of course, but gave them the opportunities to shine and demonstrate their capability to start something like a startup. Right. All these nurseries, you know, we always created nursery. nursery so that, it was more than a nursery because it included the business. Nursery is yeah. usually just a development. And it let, we let them grow and become independent divisions. Right, right. Dan, did you ever fail? And if you did, what was it and why? Well, failure for me is the final result. In other words, if you start something, I, I like to focus. So first of all, I like to force people to look in one direction. And second, each individual can only work on one project at a time because succeeding is like a war. Either you live or else you die. So you don't have an opportunity, several opportunities. You have opportunity to go in the one direction. However, going in that direction... Sometimes you have to change it. Sometimes you try sequentially and you find out that you are going into a dead end. And at that point, you must make a very, very quick question to divert a little bit and start either from beginning or uh, based on the knowledge you had from before, continue. And then at the end, if a good product comes out of it, you are successful regardless of the difficulties of some hills that you had to climb on the way to success. Wait, wait. So what you're really saying is there is no such a thing failure because failure can be a learning experience from which you make corrective action and eventually you succeed. So there is no such a thing failure to start with. And that depends on management more than anybody because management, if uh, you do, they get some budget and then they find out that you didn't do well, and, and then they stopped it, take everything away from you. Of course, that has to be done from time to time. But many times, if you recognize the capabilities and you recognize that there may there is still light at the end of this tunnel, it's up to top management to continue it and not, instead of punishing, rewarding those individuals when they reach the dead, the a light at the end of this tunnel and make it success. Wow. 
You know, I would like to tell the audience about an experience I had with another client, uh, which I think uh, pinpoints this principle that Dan, by the way, for those of you who just joined the radio show, we are interviewing here Dan Maiden, the former president of Applied Material, a time when he retired, a $12 billion leader of the manufacturing of, of, uh, of equipment for the high-tech industry, for the for the semiconductor industry. Uh, uh, the, the, the other client, uh, uh, Alan Bond from Australia, I was having dinner with him, and um, he got a telephone call, went to the phone. When he came back, his face was a little bit long, so I asked him, Dan, what happened? Uh, Alan, what happened? And he said, oh, well, I just learned I lost $20 million. And I asked him, how does it feel to lose $20 million? And he told me something which I always repeat in my lectures, and it really highlights what Dan is talking about. Uh, Alan said, Ichak, I look at it this way. I've just taken, I'm a very lucky man. I said, what do you mean lucky man? You lost $20 million. He says, well, I'm lucky because uh, no very few people can afford to take a course in life whose tuition is $20 million tuition. And I could afford the $20 million tuition. That is very, very unusual and I'm lucky. Now the question is, did I pass the exam or did I fail the exam of this course? If I learn nothing from this course so that they can be better in the future, I just wasted $20 million tuition for a course I've taken if I, if I didn't learn. But if I learn something, I'm a lucky man. I took a very expensive course and I learned something and now I can be much better in the future. To look at failure as an opportunity for learning. What can you learn from it? What did God want you to learn from it so you can do better in the future and eventually actually succeed? Then another question I have to you. I know that one of the things that we were struggling in applying material as we were working together and I was your advisor, it was that many, many companies have this problem all over the world. And I know how I solved it, but I wonder how you look at it. And it is... Applied Material was a multinational company. It had markets in China, in, 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 in the Far East, in Japan, in Germany, in Europe, United States. And we needed a restructured organization to be product-oriented. So it was global thinking, but local acting. And we always had to, this balance between if you do it all global thinking and it's too centralized, then we ignore the local market. But if we really pay attention to the local market and ignore the central thinking, then the danger is that we lose control. What is the right balance between headquarters and, and, and markets? How do you see that and how did you solve that? Oh, you know, uh, one important criteria is that for each region, uh, you have to maintain and do the business based on the culture of the local region. But the people, and what we did, we always put a general manager and employees of particular region, they are all local. And yet they work for the global company. Yet certain activities must be controlled, centralized. For example, financial organization was common to all of them, even though it was distributed and we had a controller uh, or financial uh, person responsible in Japan or in uh, China or in Europe. They see 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Learn about applying the ADESIS methodology in your organization's decision-making process. Our comprehensive training programs include a three-day introduction to the ADESIS methodology, Breakthrough to Prime, and Leading Highly Effective Teams, a detailed seven-day seminar. The seminars are valuable for corporate leaders, key executives, and others involved in the decision-making process. Our trainings are available around the world and in multiple languages. For more information about these and other training programs available, please visit adesis.com. Join the Adesis Graduate School for online master's and Ph.D. programs. Get involved with in-depth research into how change can be managed on many levels across disciplines and cultures worldwide. The clinical programs train practitioners with methods that have been used with exceptional results by certified Adesis associates and clients for decades. Core concepts include the proven Adesis theory and spiral dynamics, an emerging theory of human social evolution. For more information, go to adesisgraduateschool.org. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to paula at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Hello, hello. We are interviewing here Dan Maidan, former president of Applied Materials, and the leader of the industry in the field of equipment for the, um, for the semiconductor industry. 
at the time that he retired, it was a $12 billion company, and Adidas has worked with Dan uh, for about 10 years from the company, time the company for $400 million, till it became $11 billion, and Dan really, really built the company from $50 million to $11 billion, so we are very, very, very fortunate to have to interview him. Then, uh, what would your recommendation be to a manager that is looking for advice? What will be the the Bible, what will be the Ten Commandments you will tell him? What should he watch for? What will be the bottom line of your experience? What is really important that he should watch for? Well, you know, the business is like a reverse pyramid. The bottom is the product. Uh, without the product, there is no uh, company. However, it's, uh, the product by itself is not the whole thing. It's not more than 30%. So you really need to assure that there is innovation all across the board, which is in operation, in finance, in sales, in marketing, every place. Second thing, you need to remember that you must have satisfied employees, satisfied customers, and you need to think very carefully because there is more than one formula how to satisfy these terms. And watch and give the, your organization the opportunities to succeed because your job is basically just to orchestrate it and assure that the, the strategy is the proper one and the implementation is done by people which are better than you and never hesitate to give the responsibilities to all those individuals which have a lot of capabilities because one plus one will then be equal four rather than two. And uh, just keep on. Then you, you repeat this, hire people that are better than you. Many managers are scared to hire people that are better than they because they're afraid that they're going to be pushed out or that they're going to make them look stupid or they're going to make them look bad. So they don't want people that are better than them under them. Most managers, you'll find out, trying to build organization based on their image. And you do that, you narrow yourself to 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 very large extent. You really need to build a diverse type of an organization. You need to build people which are very different from you. You need to bring people which you at least believe they are better than you and rather than be afraid of them, to understand that we all contribute to the same goal and purpose, to make the company stronger and better. If you create this kind of environment, you'll find that you create satisfied People, satisfied employees, and satisfied suppliers. You need to listen to your customer, but you need to know yourself what the customer will need a few years from now. All those kind of things you cannot do if you try to build a company based on your image alone. It has to be a very broad thinking type organization. Wow, 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 wow. 
Then uh, one more question, because we're coming to an end, and it's kind of a sensitive question, but I will appreciate, you know, and if it doesn't apply, just tell me it doesn't apply, that's fine. Uh, I, you, you had a very, 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 what I call incredible relationship with your late wife, with Dahlia, and the family, which is unbelievable, you know, nicely, I mean, integrated, uh, supportive, uh, loving, and integrated family. You succeeded in spite of the incredible growth of the company, which usually brings with a lot of stress. Company growing at 30% a year from 50 billion, 50 million, 50 million to 11 billion dollars. I mean, that is very stressful, growing very fast, a lot of people being hired. I mean, you succeeded to maintain an incredible relationship and balance with your family life. How did you do that? Well, uh, maybe because I am very fortunate or maybe because uh, I also strongly believe in it. Uh, I think if you have a very, very good family life, it's an essential condition to succeed in your job. And in my case, it was certainly the case. My wife was a PhD. She worked too. She was taught at college. And uh, uh, she always knew that the family was number one important to me, and that's what I kept telling employees all along in every speech, almost every speech I gave, I said, uh, when you start thinking about projects, think first about your family, and if you are relaxed and you know that you get this kind of support, a lot of the tension that you mentioned just disappears, or do you look at it totally differently? And I think that... Uh, for me, and even today, it's 12 years now since uh, my wife died, uh, and I miss her a lot, and I see the results of what it means to have a good family. And if I look back at Applied and he, other activities that I have done, I know that I could never, never possibly do it without having my wife and my children next to me. Dan, I really appreciate it, and for a closure, I will appreciate if you give a testimonial, why should companies hire a Jesus? Is there anything you would like to tell them so that we can close this conversation on that note? I think that uh, it's, and it's not just my opinion, it's an opinion of other people which you work for that I know, or people which I send you to, that uh, your contribution, that Jesus' contribution to our organization were so important, were so essential, that uh, uh, we probably could not have done what we did the way we did unless Adidas was next to us, guiding us in every single step, which mostly had to do with organizational understanding the lifetime of of a corporation, and from that, reaching the conclusion of what we should do next or for the future. Dan, I thank you very, very, very much. And let's get together soon. I really appreciate it and I miss you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for this interview. Okay, thank you. 
Thank you again for joining us this week for Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Please tune in again next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy your weekend and a successful week.